and all of us exists a longing for community, for real, deep relationships. We desire to become known, to belong, to drop the facade and let others into our lives, and in turn be invited into theirs. But being in close community with others isn't always easy. For some of us, we're simply too busy, cramming our lives with plans and activities that there is little to no room to form deep connections. We simply check the box of showing up and move on with the rest of our week or forsake gathering altogether, relegating it to an optional part of our lives and discipleship to Jesus. For others, there exists hurt or painful previous experiences, leaving scars and anxieties about letting others into our lives to know us intimately. Wounded, we keep others at bay or never really engage authentically. Regardless of our experience, without community, without leaning into the tension that comes with intertwining our lives with those who may not be like us, without slowing down enough to build those roots, we will remain stunted and stagnant in our journey into becoming more like Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we are not merely a gathering of friends or like-minded Christians. Rather, we are called to transform into a new family. Our journey involves embracing the beautiful chaos of genuinely living life together, standing side by side in deeply rooted relationship with Jesus guiding us every step of the way. Well, it's me again. I don't know how to transition well through that kind of stuff, so it's good. But, uh, but it's great to see you guys here tonight. We actually are continuing in a series that's called Community. And I thought maybe a good way to start, uh, to start today's message off would be to ask you guys a question. So let me ask you this question real quick. How many of you guys are, uh, have made a New Year's resolution this year? I'm just curious. Show of hands. Any of you? Do, okay, cool. Let me ask a quick follow-up. Just a few of you did. Let me ask a follow-up. Have any of you broken those uh, resolutions yet? Have you done it? Okay, so they're a little bit hard to keep, but you're going strong, and that's good. Uh, so the reason I ask is because I can just tell you that I... I, I don't know if I have ever officially made a New Year's resolution. I don't know if I've actually like officially done that. But I can tell you that this time of year, I unofficially have made the same resolution every year. And so whenever January comes around, I feel like I, 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 I find myself in this place where I feel this renewed sense of a need to focus on two specific aspects of my life. And those two for me are diet and exercise. And so like probably a lot of people, like a lot of us, when New Year's comes around, these are the two things I'm thinking about. Like I said, I've never officially made a resolution, but it seems like this time of year, I start to get a little bit more serious about, okay, I got to get on the diet. I got to think about exercise. And maybe the reason for that is because everybody's thinking about diet and exercise this time of year. Maybe part of it's because it's January and that's like a fresh start and a clean start for something new. Or maybe it's because I just spent the last three weeks just eating junk. Uh, but for whatever reason, I'm like, I need to get back on diet and exercise. And I can just tell you too, some of you guys maybe have found this to be true as well. I am discovering that the older that I get, that the fight to try to remain healthy and the fight to try to be, stay, stay or be physically fit is getting increasingly more difficult. And so uh, the older I get, the metabolism slows down and my schedule seems to speed up and they open a culvers like stones throw away from the church and everything is against me and, um, and I feel like it becomes a little bit more difficult. But here's the point that I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is if you want to be a healthy person, if you wanna be physically healthy, um, it requires diet and exercise, right? Those are non-negotiable. Those are essential to pursuing a life of fitness and, uh, and life of health. If you were to go to any doctor, or I should maybe take that back, if you were to go to any good doctor 
and you were to ask that doctor, hey, I want to be a healthy person. What do I need to do to be a healthy person? That doctor might tell you a bunch of different things. And depending on your background and your history, they might tell you specialized things. But any good doctor is always going to tell you two things. They're going to say, well, diet and exercise. There's no shortcut around those things. There's no pill. There's no supplement. There is no program that is somehow going to negate the importance of diet and exercise. And that's not a personality thing, and that's not a temperament thing. It's just kind of a thing thing, right? It's just sort of true. It's a fact of life. Now, let me, let me just say, you can rest assured that today's message is not a message about diet and exercise. Okay, so that's not what we're going to be preaching about here today. But the reason I bring it up is because um, I could just say that as one of the pastors here at our church, and I know I'm speaking for our entire team when I say this, one of the things that we really desire for all of us, for you and for me and for all of us, is that we are spiritually healthy people. We want to be healthy in the way that God desires for us to be healthy. That's something that we're pursuing together, and that's something that we're praying for, for all of us, is that we be healthy people. But here, here's why I bring all that up. Because what we're talking about in this series is we are talking about something that is a non-negotiable, essential part of your and my spiritual health. And what is that? What we're talking about in this series, of course, is biblical community. Biblical community. And, And what I'm trying to say is that what diet and exercise is to your physical health, the Bible's gonna tell us that biblical community is to your spiritual health that it is an essential part. It's not a personality thing. It's not a temperament thing. It's, there's no way to bypass it. There's no way to get around it. It is an essential part of being healthy and the way that God wants us to be healthy is that we have to have biblical community. See, for those who follow Jesus, and if you were here last week, you might remember this. For those of us who follow Jesus over and over again in the Bible, we're gonna see that discipleship to Jesus is played out in the context of community. It's played out in the context of biblical community, that that you and I, that if you are a follower of Jesus, which I know maybe not everyone's a follower of Christ here, maybe some of you are still investigating that, but if you're a follower of Jesus, a critical part of your discipleship and an essential part of your identity as a follower of Christ is played out in biblical community. And I want you to notice too, just want to draw your attention to something that's kind of obvious. I want you to notice that in this series, we're saying that what you need is biblical community, not just community, not just any old kind of community, not just social interaction, which is good, but we're saying you need biblical community. You guys, you guys know this. You can build a community around a lot of things, right? Uh, there's uh, CrossFit communities. Uh, there is fantasy football communities. There are gaming communities. And all those, by the way, are good. In fact, those are probably even healthy for you to have some of those things into in your life. But what we're saying is, if you want to be healthy the way that God desires, what you need is biblical community, which begs a really important question. If that's what we're saying, if this is essential to your spiritual health, I think the question that that, that we, the obvious question that we would ask and the question we're pursuing in this series is, okay, well then what makes biblical community biblical? What is it that makes biblical community different than any other kind of community? What are the, you could put it this way, what are the irreducible minimums that if you were to boil it down and say, this is, what, this is what makes biblical community biblical, what would those things be and how do we pursue those things? That's actually what we're doing in the series. And so we're taking this series, we're actually taking nine weeks and we're talking through what we believe are irreducible minimums to what makes community biblical. And what are they? Well, if you actually look at the graphic itself, you'll see them. 
is the topics that we're talking about. We believe that what makes biblical community biblical is that biblical community is a community of siblings, learning, gathering, prayer, confession, generosity, discipleship, mission, and worship. And each week, we're kind of double-clicking on each one of these, and we're talking about what does that look like then to be a community of these things. So last week was the first week. And if you missed last week, just very quickly, Pastor Seth led us in this idea that a biblical community is a community of siblings. And here's what we said. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and check it out. But in a nutshell, we said biblical community begins by recognizing that followers of Jesus are first and foremost a spiritual family. It starts by recognizing that. In other words, those who follow Jesus, those of us who follow Christ, we haven't just entered into a new community. We've actually entered into a new identity. And so when when a person starts following Jesus, the Bible says we're adopted into his family. God is our father. And because God is our father, that makes us brothers and sisters. And that's the starting point of biblical community. It's understanding that we are a family. Again, if you missed that last week, I would encourage you to check it out. So this week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the second aspect. We're going to say that a biblical community is a community of learning. It's a community of learning. Now, you might be saying, what exactly do you mean by that? So grab your Bibles, and let me show you. Acts 2 is where we're going to go. Okay, so Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to see this idea of a biblical community is a community of learning. Page 884 in the Bibles that we have provided for you is where you're going to find that. And if you don't own a Bible, take one home with you. We'd love for you to have a Bible. So Acts chapter 2. Now, as you're locating Acts 2, let me just kind of tell you that whenever you talk about biblical community, the first passage you should think of is Acts 2. Uh, It's one of the greatest passages that gives you one of the greatest, beautiful pictures of biblical community. So as you're flipping there, let me just give you a little bit of context into this very famous passage. So here's why Acts 2 is so important. What you're going to find is that Jesus has been crucified. He has raised from the dead, the resurrection. He has spent a period of time of about 40 days with his disciples. And then he's ascended into heaven and he, he promises his disciples, he says, I want you to wait because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And the Holy Spirit is going to indwell you and the church is going to begin. And so in Acts chapter two, you see that the promised Holy Spirit comes. And as the Spirit comes, you're gonna see one of the very first results of the Holy Spirit in the life of a person is that now there is this new community. There's this new church family. And here in the passage we're gonna look at, you're gonna see a cameo description of the early church. All right, so let's let's just read it together. Here it is. Again, it's a very, very famous passage. It says this, it says that they, these, these early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs that were performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, And then they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Again, beautiful picture that you have here in Acts. And you guys, I think that what you see here in these verses, I believe it's actually far more than just a description of what was happening in the early church. I think in many ways, what you see here is more than that. I think this is a distilled paradigm of what every church, of what any church should be committed to prioritizing and pursuing. So in other words, I think that this is more, this is more than just uh, descriptive. I think this is actually instructive. 
that can actually instructs us in the kind of things that we should pursue as well. And while there's so much we could say about this passage, and by the way, there's a lot that we have said about this passage in the past, for the sake of our time today, I simply want to kind of focus in on three terms. There's only three terms that I want to invite you to look at with me here together today, because I believe that these three terms are going to help us understand what we mean when we say that a biblical community is a learning community. All right, and here's what the three terms are. So very, very simply, I want to talk first about the apostles' teaching. Then I want to talk about the word devoted. And then I want to talk about the term they. So super simple. What does it mean to be a community, a biblical community? It means to be a, com- a community that's, that is committed and is, is a learning community. So what does that mean? Well, I think if we understand these three things, we'll understand what we're talking about. Apostles' teaching, devoted, and they. So let's start at the top. Let's talk about the apostles' teaching. So in verse 42... Notice it begins, and the very first thing we are told about this this church, the very first thing, the Bible says that they devoted themselves to something. And what was it? It was to the apostles' teaching, to the apostles' teaching. Now, again, I think it's very important that this comes first. I think there's a reason that this comes first. In fact, if I could even put it this way, I think everything else that we read in this description happened because this comes first because this comes first, the apostles' teaching, to which some of you, honestly, might be asking the question. It's a very obvious question, but I think it's a really important question. You might be saying, what is that? The apostles' teaching, what is that? Who are the apostles, and what was their teaching? So let let me just take a moment, and let me just make sure we're all on the same page about this real quick. So first off, who were the apostles? Who were the apostles? Okay, so let me give a little bit of clarity here. Some of you maybe have heard that word before. I'm, I'm sure all of us have probably heard that word in some context. Honestly, sometimes you might hear people use the word apostle and disciple interchangeably, right? So you'll hear someone say, oh, Jesus had his disciples. He had his apostles, apostles, disciples, disciples, apostles, tomato, tomato, the whole thing, whatever, it's interchangeable. But I want you to know that those terms are not exact synonyms. They're actually a little bit different. So let me explain the difference real quick. The word disciple that's used in the New Testament it actually comes from the word methetes in the Greek, which means a student or learner. And so in a real sense, a disciple is someone who's just simply a learner or is a student. All of us who follow Jesus, for those of us who follow Christ, we are all disciples of Jesus. We all are. We're all students, learners, apprentices of Jesus. The word, um, the word for apostle, apostolos, is actually a little bit different. It means a messenger, someone who is sent. That's what the, it's a generic word that means someone that's sent. Now, now here's the thing. In Acts chapter two, when it talks about the apostles' teaching, I want you to know that in the context of that passage, it's actually referring to a very specific group of people. It's talking about specifically a group of 12 people. Uh, if I could just give you a little bit of context, if you go back one chapter in Acts chapter one, and you don't have to, I'm not gonna read it to you, but if you go back to Acts chapter one, you actually get a little bit more context of who it's talking about when it's talking about the apostles. And so what you're gonna see is that Jesus had a group of 12 apostles. He had 12 men that he invested deeply into. One of them betrayed Jesus and took his own life. His name was, remind me, Judas. So in Acts one, The Bible tells us that the 11 apostles were looking for a replacement. They were looking for someone who would fill Judas's slot. And it actually tells us what the criteria for that person would be. And let me tell you what it is. The criteria for a New Testament apostle was first off, they had to be a witness to Jesus's earthly ministry. 
They had to be someone who witnessed Jesus' life and his teaching. Secondly, they had to have been an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. So they would have had to have an encounter, an experience with the resurrected Jesus. And the third thing is, they had to be explicitly chosen and sent by the Holy Spirit. All right, so that's what you're gonna see. And so the Bible's gonna tell us that there's, in Acts chapter two, there's a group of 12 apostles. Later in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter nine, we're told about another guy named Paul. And the apostle Paul encounters the resurrected Jesus. Jesus comes to him and the resurrected Jesus sends Paul. He says, Paul, you're gonna be my apostle. You're gonna be my missionary to the Gentiles. You're gonna go and preach to this group of people. And the rest of the apostles recognized him as an apostle as well. Now, some of you guys are hearing all that and you're like, why, why all the details? Like, what, what does all that mean? Here's what that means. And here, by the way, here's why that's so important to you and to me. What that means is this. It means that today, there are no capital A apostles. There are no more. The, the apostles that we see in the early church were the only apostles that there are in the capital A apostles, the office of apostle, that's it. Now, here's why that's so important for you and for me. Uh, it's, it's because of this. If you ever go to a church or you ever watch a YouTube video with a, uh, someone who's claiming to be a spiritual teacher, or if you ever come across the channel on the TV where there is someone who claims to be an apostle, where they say, I'm an apostle, meaning I have a unique authority and I have a unique ability to speak in such a way that my word should be on par with the rest of the Bible. I just wanna tell you, your spidey senses should be going off like crazy. And I just wanna encourage you, don't walk away from a teacher like that. Run away from a teacher like that. There has been unbelievably destructive, hurtful, and abusive things that have been done in the name of those kinds of things. In fact, the New Testament's gonna warn us that there are such a thing as an, uh, false apostles, false apostles. That continues to this day. So who are the apostles? It was a very specific group of people in the first century. It was a group of people who would have met this criteria. So here's the second question then. So what was their teaching then? What was the apostles teaching? All right, well, if you start to dig into this, let me just tell you that there's actually three parts that make up the body of the apostles' teaching. So what, what did their teaching include? Well, if you look into it, first off, it included the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. So I'll just give you one example. I'll give you many, but I'll give you one. Right here in Acts chapter two, if you have your Bibles open and you, you look just right before this passage, you're gonna see that the apostle Peter is preaching a sermon. Now, Peter was an apostle, right? And he's preaching a sermon. And what was his sermon all about? Well, it's interesting, if you look at it, his sermon is about 26 verses long. And 11 of those 26 verses are direct quotations and citations from the Old Testament. So part of the apostles' teaching, and this is time and time again, was the Old Testament. There was another part, though. Another part was they also would teach the teachings of Jesus. They taught the life and the teachings of Jesus. Matthew 28 you see Jesus commissioning the apostles and disciples, and he says to them, go and make disciples and go teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So part of what the apostles would have taught would have been the life and the ministry of Jesus. We have a word for that too. We call that the gospels. So if you get to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what are those? They are eyewitness accounts of the life and the ministry and the teaching of Jesus. And the final part of their teaching would have been, well, quite honestly, the rest of the New Testament. And some of you are like, well, well, why was that their teaching? And here's why, because they wrote it. That's why. 
So all of the books that you see in the New Testament, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, if you guys have ever seen those before, what are those? Here's what they are. They are books and letters that were written by the apostles or they were supervised by the apostles. So what was the apostles teaching? It was the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, the gospels, and the New Testament. Let me ask you, let me ask you a quick question. All right, class. There's another name for those. What do we call all of those? What do we call that? Help me out. The Bible. Okay, so what were they teaching? The Bible. They were teaching the, the Bible that you're holding right now, the 66 books that are in your hand or on your phone that you have, that is, listen to us, that is the apostles' teaching to us today. That's what we have. That is the, now, this is going to sound super obvious, and I don't mean to insult your intelligence because I'm not trying to say it, and I know I took, I took the long way to arrive here, but let me just tell you this. When we ask the question, what makes biblical community biblical? Well, I think a really big part of it is this, the Bible, the Bible. It is, yeah, exactly. Amen. Bless you. Sorry. I thought, I thought you were agreeing with me or I thought the Browns scored a touchdown something happened there. That's awesome. God bless you. But this is it, right? It's the Bible. A big part of what makes biblical community biblical is the Bible. And yes, let me just say, let me just say, as obvious as that sounds, can I just talk to you about why that's so important? Here's why that's so important. Because that speaks to us, this speaks to us about the authority that the Bible should have to us. The Bible should have a lot of authority, more than our experiences, uh, more than our opinions, these believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And this means, what this means is that, you guys, any pastor, any teacher, any minister, any life group leader, any Bible study leader, no matter who it is, we all have to recognize that our words and our opinions should not and must not carry the same amount of weight as what God's word says. That's why here at Grace, if you ever hear any of us teaching, myself included, you're gonna hear us say things like this. We're gonna say things like, look, don't take my word for it, okay? And that doesn't mean that we're saying that what we're saying is untrustworthy. What we're trying to, it doesn't mean we didn't do our homework. What it means is, look, the authority's not here. The authority's not in my opinions and what I think authority is in the scripture. That's where it's at, and we lean hard on that. The other reason it's so important that we recognize this is because I want you to notice that in the book of Acts, we are told that these people have just been filled with the Spirit of God. And you guys, I think what this tells us is that one of the first evidences that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life is that you care deeply about the Bible, is that you're concerned with Scripture. I, I put it this way in my notes. Those who are filled with the Spirit of God are immediately concerned with understanding the Word of God. Let me say it again. I think that's really important. Those who are filled with the Spirit of God, what is their first concern? The first thing they're devoted to is not their experience. The first thing they're devoted to is wanting to know what the apostles teach. They're devoted to understanding the apostles' teaching. I can just tell you, I think that this is the first evidence of the Holy Spirit in a church. Is a church that's devoted, first and foremost, to knowing God's word, to living that out together. So while biblical community probably includes a lot of different things, let me just say, it never includes anything less than reading and studying the Bible. It's more than that, but it's never less than that. It's never less than that, which actually leads me to the second word. The second word is this. So the apostles' teaching, which is the Bible. The second word I want you to notice is that these people were devoted to this. They were devoted. Now, I think this is such an important word, such an important word. If you look at verse 42, verse 42 is gonna say they devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching, devoted. Now, again, the reason this is such an important word 
It's because I think this helps us understand the posture that these people took towards the Bible. What was their posture towards the teachings of the apostles? The Bible's gonna say they were devoted to them. Now, one of the, I think one of the problems sometimes when we, when we study the Bible is that sometimes what happens is, or one of the challenges, I should, say, I should say, is that sometimes we approach the terms that we read in the Bible with preloaded ideas of what those terms mean. And so I think that that can be the case with the word devoted. Um, the word devoted or the word devotion, and some of you guys know this, it actually has some, it actually has, it's actually a word that's used sometimes in the Christian subculture and it, it, means, it means something different, I think, to some of us. So, so here's what I mean. If you're someone who, uh, who, fo- who doesn't follow Jesus, you maybe have heard someone, uh, people in the church say this. We'll talk about doing our devotions. You guys ever heard that before? Like, oh, they're gonna do their, we actually, if you're, if you're really an insider uh, in the Christian thing, we actually will we'll abbreviate it. We'll say devos. Right? So I gotta do my devos. Uh, or so we have all kinds of words. We'll say, I gotta do my, my quiet time, my QT got to do my tag time, my time alone with God. We got all these little phrases that we as Christians are weird. We do stuff like this. But those little terms, so sometimes when, we're t- when we talk about doing our devotions or we talk about, you know, doing our devos, sometimes what we mean is we mean spending personal time in the Bible, right? Studying or going through a reading plan, which by the way, I just want to tell you, I think it's a phenomenal habit to be in. Uh, you hear us talk about that here at Grace all the time. You've heard me say it. I, I think one of the greatest habits that you could put in your life, one of the most transformative habits, is to spend your first cup of coffee with Jesus. And what I mean by that is with the Bible, reading through scripture and prayer. I think that's awesome. But I want you to know that that's not exactly what they have in mind here when they said that they were devoted to the scriptures, when they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The word devoted is such a strong word. This is why I want to spend some time thinking about it. The word devoted literally means this. It means to continue steadfastly. It means to persist obstinately. It means to hold fast and persevere with a posture of receptivity and readiness. Right? It's, to, it's literally, it means to dig in, to dig into something. And, and it, means, it means that you have a posture of receptivity. Right, so this is, this is, in other words, here's a good way to say it. This is not just about acquiring information. It's not what this is. This is about learning with your life. This is about living this out. I am devoted to, 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 to take what I am bringing into myself into fleshing that out in real life. That's what it means to live a life of devotion. So um, maybe here's a good way to try to illustrate what I'm saying. This week I did something a little bit different than I've ever done before. Uh, I went on to the NFL website and I downloaded the official NFL rule book. I don't know if any of you guys have ever done this, probably not, uh, but you can. So if you go to the, the NFL website, you can download this, the PDF document, 85 pages long, all right? So I, 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 I pulled this up, I sat down in a chair at my house, and I started reading through the official NFL rule book. Now, can I tell you what was going through my mind when I was reading this book? Let me just tell you a few of the things. I didn't read the whole thing, by the way, couldn't. Uh, but here's a few things that were going through my mind when I was reading it. The first thought is I thought it's kind of boring. It's actually pretty boring. Uh, if you read the NFL rule book, it's got, it reads like a legal document, as you can imagine. The other thing I was thinking as I was going through it is it's, it's really confusing. It's often confusing. I have a hard time, like I'm like, I don't really understand what that said, and it's kind of worded weird, and I'm, try, I'm trying to remember what that is. And the last thing that I thought, which ultimately caused me to put it away, was I thought this is entirely irrelevant to me. 
right? This, is, this, has, this really has nothing to do with anything that I'm gonna do after I'm done reading this. It has nothing to do with it. And why is that? Well, that makes sense. That makes sense because what? I'm not, I'm not a football player. I haven't played football in over 20 years, right? So it's irrelevant to my life because I'm not, listen, I'm not, here's the key, I'm not devoted to the game. I'm not devoted to the game. So even, listen, even if I got a group of my friends together who also were not football players, and once a week we studied the NFL rule book and we tried to dig into it, and we even memorized parts of it together, it's still going to seem kind of boring, often confusing, and irrelevant to me. But you see, here's the, here's the thing, and I think we all understand this. The problem, of course, is that the truth is, in a lot of ways, I'm just kind of reading it wrong. I'm approaching it wrong. See, because when all of a sudden, when I am a football player, when I'm an NFL player, suddenly everything changes. Suddenly it's not boring anymore. It's actually, it's actually really important. It's vital. It's not irrelevant. It's totally relevant to every move that I make when I'm on the field. The NFL rule book only comes to life when you are a devoted player on a devoted team trying to flesh the thing out in real life. That's how it works. Now, this is not a perfect illustration by any stretch of the imagination. It breaks down in a lot of different places. But can I just say that I think that a lot of times, we, sometimes we'll say this, this, these same kind of things about the Bible. And sometimes we do. The Bible, uh, it's kind of boring. Uh, it's, it's, it's confusing. It talks about people that I, there's names I can't pronounce. There's places that I'd never heard of before. It has nothing, and it's irrelevant to me. It doesn't actually change anything about the way that I'm living my life when I walk away from the book. In fact, maybe even, let's just be honest, right? We're in church, let's be honest. Maybe for some of you, even throughout this message, you've been thinking some of these things I've been talking. You've been like, it's kind of boring. You're like, and you're like, it's sort of confusing. You're like, I don't know about who the apostles are and I don't really care about their teaching. And, and you might be thinking to yourself, what does it matter to me? I just want to know if the Browns are gonna win tonight. All right, and that's all, maybe you're thinking about those things. Now, can I just, can I submit to you, to you this? Is it possible is it possible that maybe the reason that you think that, maybe it's not because I'm boring. And maybe I am. I don't know. Either way, I'm attractive. So I know I'm eye candy. <laughs> I'm at least eye candy, right? Maybe it's not because I'm boring. Maybe it's not because the Bible's boring. Listen, let me ask you, is it possible that maybe you're approaching it wrong? Maybe you're approaching it without devotion. See, because here's what I believe, you guys. I believe in my heart. Unless you're in a community of Christ followers, unless you're devoted to living this thing out together with a group of people, I think it's always gonna sound like stale information. I think it's always gonna seem a little boring. It's gonna seem a little confusing. It's gonna seem a little bit irrelevant. But the Bible comes to life when you're trying to play this thing out. See, see here's where the illustration breaks down, you guys. The Bible is not a rule book. It's not a rule book. The Bible is not a textbook, and the Bible is not a historical artifact. It's none of those things. Here's what the Bible is. The Bible is God's word. It is God revealing himself to us. He's telling us who he is. He's telling us who we are. And he is giving us his, his plan of redemption for humanity, which all points to and culminates in the person of Jesus Christ. And you guys, I believe it's only when you and I can find our place in God's story, it's when we find our story in God's story that all of a sudden everything starts to make sense. Otherwise, it's gonna just seem completely irrelevant to us. And this brings us to the last term. So we're gonna see the apostles' teaching, that's the Bible, devoted, that's like, man, we're committed to living this thing out. 
And this is the key. They, they. You know, Seth talked about this last week, and so I don't, I don't want to just, you know, re-preach re what he talked about. But when you get to the New Testament, it is unbelievable the amount of time you see plural. Everything in this, did you notice everything in this passage is in the plural? Their devotion is in the plural. Look, look at it again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Everyone was filled with awe. All the believers were together. Everything, they sold property and possessions to give. To the, they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Seth said this last week. It's really difficult. It's very, very difficult to cut, in fact, almost impossible to read the New Testament simply through an individualistic lens. It's almost impossible. Uh, the Christian life is intended to be lived out in community. And what you're gonna see is that this community, this was not just a personal devotion. This was a community pursuit. This was something that they were doing together. How did they pursue this devotion? They did it together. Where did they pursue this devotion to God's word? Did you notice this in the passage? Where did they do this? Everywhere. In the temple courts, in each other's houses. When did they live out this devotion? All the time. Every day. So here's the idea. This is not just one day a week. This is not just one hour a week. This is, a, this is an ongoing devotion of a group of people who were together. Here's what I believe, you guys. I believe there's something powerful that happens when these three things are happening in a person's life. When there's a commitment to God's, to, to God's work, to the scripture, and there's a devotion to actually live it out. And when that happens in the context of community, with, with a community of people who are God's family, I think that's where life change takes place. I think that's where the growth that God desires for us really happens. You know, I just wanna ask you to consider with me, and I could go on for, I could give you a lot more than this, but just for the sake of time, I just wanna give you three things. I want you to consider with me three benefits. What happens when we are connected to a community that's committed to the Bible? So I think that there's a few things we could say, but let me just say this. So when we're connected to a community that's committed to the Bible, here's the first thing I think that happens. I think we end up growing by and through each other's perspective, knowledge, and experience. We start to grow together by and through each other's perspective, knowledge, and experience. You know, something powerful happens when you study the scripture with a group of people who are devoted to living it out together. And I think one of, the, one of the amazing things that happens is you start to learn through and by each other's experiences and your knowledge. When you get a group of people together who have different backgrounds, who come from different age groups, who come from, have different stories and different walks of life and different perspectives of life. I think when you start to have a time where you're devoted to God's word together, you start to learn through each other. You start to, you start to point things out to each other. God's word, not that God's word changes, but it applies differently to different circumstances and you learn from each other. You know, it's interesting to me in the book of Colossians, Colossians 3 says this, it says, let the message of Christ, which by the way, that would be the Bible, Dwell among you, again, the word there is plural, dwell, dwell among y'all, let the word of God dwell among y'all, richly as you teach and admonish, look at this, one another, one another. It's God's design that as each one of us who follow Jesus are committed to our devotion to the apostles' teaching, to God's word, that that is something that we start to share with each other, that it should be, it should be a normal thing for us to ask each other, hey, what's God teaching you? What's God showing? Hey, I got a question about this. Hey, I was reading this theater. Does anyone have any input on this? That should be a, a normal part 
of what it looks like to live our devotion together. I love the way that J.I. Packer said it. J.I. Packer in his book, Grounded in the Gospel, said the church is to be a learning and teaching fellowship in which the passing on of what we learn becomes a regular part of the service that we render to one another. It's something that we do for each other. God's word dwells among us. Here's the second thing, I think, a second benefit. When we're connected to a community committed to the Bible, we grow through the process of allowing others to challenge us. So not only do we grow from each other's experience and each other's knowledge, we also grow when we're able to be challenged by one another. You know, I think it's so awesome. 2 Timothy 3 says this, all scripture, which by the way, that's talking about the apostles' teaching. All scripture is God-breathed, which means what? It's from God. It originates from God. And it's useful, now look at these words, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Because think about those words for a minute. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Not all of those are cheery words. Some of those are some difficult words. But all of those words, all of them necessitate that there's a relationship. They necessitate that someone is close enough to you that they know these things about you and they can challenge certain things about you. Here's the truth. All of us have blind spots. We all do. I do, you do. We all have blind spots. We all have weak points. The problem with blind spots are I can't see them and you can't see them. And so we need each other. Without being in community, we all naturally gravitate towards a lopsided view of God. And a lot of times what happens is if we don't have other people who are challenging and refining and helping us with that, we'll end up with a God who just ends up looking like a magnified version of ourself. But when we get in community, then we're able to help each other and spur each other on and help fill in um, the, the full picture of what scripture is revealing to us. Again, I love the way one pastor said, his name is Brian Wright. He said, by reading and discussing scripture in community, we acknowledge our inability to fully grasp God's truth on our own. And we learn to appreciate the insights of others. Gifts are shared, weaknesses are offset, personal biases are exposed, and personal interpretations exposed to inquiry. This teaches us to listen attentively, think carefully, question kindly, and respond humbly. Our souls are formed when we read together. I think that's awesome. That's awesome. I'll give you one more, and then, and then we'll, we'll close down. I think when we're connected to a community committed to the Bible, we grow in Christ-like character by living out Scripture in real, honest, and at times messy relationships. I think that's, that's important. You guys, the reason that followers of Jesus devote themselves to God's word is not to be informed. It's to be conformed. It's to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. That's why we do this. It's because we're growing together to look more and more like Jesus. And you guys, I believe that commitment to living out scripture in real, honest, and at times messy relationships is the ground in which Christ-like character grows. How do we become more patient? How do we become more loving? How do we become more generous? How do we become more, how, how do we do those things? It's in the context of real relationships and sometimes messy relationships that that happens. I love the way that one author put it. His name is Joseph Hellerman. Uh, I've been reading this book by him. I'm not finished with it yet, but I've been enjoying it a lot. The name of the book is called When the Church Was a Family. And I just really appreciate what he says here. He said this, spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. That's what we've been saying in the series. Persons who remain connected with their brothers and sisters in the local church almost invariably grow in self-understanding. And they mature in their ability to relate in healthy ways to God and to their fellow human beings. 
This is especially the case for those courageous Christians, listen to this, the courageous Christians who stick it out through the often messy process of interpersonal discord and conflict resolution. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay grow. Then he goes on and he says this, it is a simple but profound reality. We grow and thrive together or we do not grow much at all. And you guys, I think what he's saying is so true. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if, listen, if, if you wanna get anywhere in the Christian life, you gotta stay put. You gotta stay close. You gotta stay connected to other followers of Christ. There's more we could say, but I think the point is this. The point is that Christian community is an essential part of how we grow and how we grow together. I'm gonna invite the band to come up. And uh, as they do, I wanna just close with this one final question. And this last question is for everybody, no matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, whether you're a follower of Christ or you're investigating Jesus, here's the last question I would have for you. These things, the apostles' teaching, the Bible, right, as we discovered, devotion, commitment to living this thing out, and they, community, here's my question. Are these things present in your life at all? Are they present? And maybe the question is, are they lacking? Have maybe for some of us, maybe for some of us, there's been a time where we have had the, there's been, there has been a time in our life that we've been in a, we've been in a committed community that's devoted to living out God's word. And maybe for you, you can remember that time, but maybe you've drifted from that. Maybe, maybe what's happened is that you've deprioritized that in your life. And my, my question to you would be simply this, is would you be willing to take some time, even right now, to just spend some time and pray? And would you ask God just to say, God, is there anything I can do to take steps to strengthening or pursuing this in my life? Maybe you have this in your life right now, and you just need to be reminded of the importance of how vital it is to your growth and your health. Because sometimes relationships get messy and things get difficult. But my question is, would you be willing just to take some time and say, God, have I drifted from this? Are there ways that I can strengthen these things in my life? Are there steps that I can take towards, towards uh, pursuing these things in my life? I would encourage you to pray about that. Maybe for you, quite honestly, as we've been talking, this just reinforces that conviction inside of you. Like, you know what? This is it. I've been meaning to check out a life group. This is just it. This just reinforces that I, it's time for me to do that. I wanna pursue that. Or maybe for you, it's as simple as this. Maybe your next step is you're saying, you know what, this isn't in my life, but I'm just gonna start this way. I'm gonna start with some of the people in my life who, I, who come to church with me. We're gonna take some time and we're gonna read the Bible and we're gonna try to flesh it out in our own life. That's just the next step that we're gonna take together. And I think that's great. But my encouragement to you is what is your next step? Because here's what I know without a doubt. In light of everything that we've said, one thing is clear. To miss these things in your life God's word, a devotion to it in the context of community is to miss out on something that's so vital for your spiritual growth and spiritual health. If you were to ask a doctor, what do I need to do to be a healthy person? They would say diet and exercise. And if you were to ask, what do I need to do to be a spiritually healthy person? I would say you need these things. They're essential. They're essential to your growth and to your health. Let's pray. Jesus, we wanna say thank you so much that you have not left us blind in this world that you haven't left us without answers. You haven't left us without direction. And I think that here today, we see just a very clear picture of something that you desire, not from us, but you desire for us. And God, you care about us. You love us and you created us. And you created us to be in community with each other. And so for those of us who follow you, God, I pray that maybe you would just help us fix our eyes on you 
and fix your eyes on the desires that you have for us. Father, help us to be a community of people who are devoted, committed, steadfastly persevering in in trying to live out your word to us. Help us to do that together. And so, Father, we pray that even right now as we have a chance to worship and sing, that you would just reinforce in our hearts your goodness and your love. Help us to shout those things back out to you in worship and in praise. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.